Oh, man, man, oh, man. Here we go, folks. This is it. We are live at 1228 on October 21st. It's a Friday on Nantucket Island, 30 miles out. This is Inside the Whale. I am your host, Doug Cody. This is Nantucket's first podcast, although I'm sure it's only a matter of time before someone else busts another one out, right? You know, I was curious, does Martha's Vineyard have a podcast? Is there a someone out there doing what I'm doing? I couldn't find it. Seems like a logical thing to do, though, right? Why am I the only one doing it, huh? Well, Doug, maybe it's because you have too much free time. That's not it. It's because I love podcasts. I listen to them all the time. I just listen to, uh, in case you were wondering, the podcasts that I listen to. I listen to Joe Rogan's podcast. I listen to WTF, Mark Maron's podcast. I love Freakonomics, huge fan of Stephen Dubner's podcast. I love Freakin' oh, oh no, Re- Revisionist History with Malcolm Gladwell. Those are some of the ones I check out. And every once in a while, I'll just hop on the, the iTunes app and just scroll around and see if uh, there's one that I like. And uh, usually, I, I seem to come back to those ones that I just mentioned. Anyway, Nantucket, enough about me. Let's talk about you. I want to know how you are doing. What a week, huh? God, great weather, high 60s all week. Tell you what, I'll take it. Despite that, uh, did you guys watch the debate? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Here's what I will say this. If two candidates are applying for a job and and you're just hiring them based on their resume, on the actual paper that's on the table... You're going to go, you're going to give it to Hillary. I'm sorry. It's just the way it is. Uh, I don't know. I'll stay out of politics, folks. I'll stay out of politics, right? That's what everyone says. And then you bring it up and then you talk about it and you end up getting worked up. Just stay away from it, Doug. Don't bring it up. And here I am yapping about it on the podcast. So I'll shut up. Let's just get into episode 39. So I grew up in Syracuse, New York. There wasn't any place remotely close where you could go surf. So I grew up skating. I uh, I was a skater my whole life. We grew up skating in barns on half pipes and, uh, you know, surfing just wasn't an option till I moved out here in 2010 and uh, my wife is a surfer and she sort of introduced me to surfing and uh, the surfing community on Nantucket. And uh, that's kind of what today's episode is about. Let me fix that. Uh, I got to talking to Burton Balkine. Some of you probably know him as Spruce, and uh, he's talking about some of the history, and wouldn't it be cool to maybe do a documentary on the surf history? And of course, you know, I immediately think, oh, that'd be interesting. Totally great idea, great concept. I don't think I'm the guy uh, to, to do the documentary. I haven't been surfing or uh, just been on Nantucket that long. I think someone else uh, is right for that job, but... Uh, I thought it would be cool to find someone out here in the surf community that's been around, that understands the history and knows uh, knows the players, know who, what, when, why, who was surfing where, and uh, could could maybe tell a piece of the puzzle to the Nantucket surf history story. And uh, Chris Emery was uh, a name that popped up, and I've known Chris uh, for some time now. I've surfed with him. Chris has been, and his wife Cheryl were nice enough to have us down and got to surf at his place down in Playa Negra. And uh, he's someone that, uh, you know, has definitely been in the surf community for a long time on Nantucket and I thought would be 
really interesting in helping uh, just maybe put a piece of the puzzle together. Tells the story of surf history on Nantucket, and uh, that's what this episode's about. So I asked Chris if he'd come over, and you know, casually, we just want to sit and talk to him about uh, some of his recollections of uh, surfing in the 60s, growing up surfing on Nantucket. And the conversation is really interesting, and some of you might know some of the people he's talking about, and some of you may not. But uh, either way, you know his uh, his story is part of Nantucket surf history, and uh, so this would just be a piece of the puzzle. And uh, I think if you're into surfing, you love Nantucket, you love surfing on Nantucket. Chris Emery uh, can put some of the pieces together of the story, and he and he does that. Uh, so let's do that. Let's listen to uh, Chris talk. Show us your crooked jaw. Show us your wrinkled brow. Rise. He rises. Thirty miles out, we're going deep. Inside the world. A whale as big as an island. A whale, a whale, a whale as big as an island. One of one of many of the documenting Nantucket surf history, you know. So sit up a little, move up a little closer to that microphone. Don't be there shy. We there go. you go. There you go. And uh, that just like that, we're rolling. So it's okay. Like, we're we into it. So uh, I think before we get into the nuts and bolts, we should talk about. Um, what we talked about at the beach that day, which was Nantucket surf history. And, you know, your history is sort of a piece of the puzzle of the many people who have come before you. Right. Right. Yeah. And, uh, that first started and you, uh, sent me a link, uh, to the Nantucket, Nantucket historical association. Right. Right. And it had people as far back as, uh, 1930s, 1930s, there was a uh, bathing beauty at Sconset with a uh, about shoulder height surfboard all painted up. Yeah, it's cool looking. <laughs> had handholds on it, so that image can be seen on their website. That was and, pretty cool. Uh, um, so we know that surfing has been going on at least since the 30s on Nantucket. Well, I don't know, because she was posing with that board. It didn't show her riding. And... Uh, the furthest back I've been able to trace things is late 50s. And, uh, and then in 1960, things really started busting open. But, uh, well, we can get into that, but yeah, I think we yeah. should start back about your journey to sure. Nantucket, the Emory yep. family, your yep. father. When did your father first come here? My father and mother honeymooned here. That would be uh, probably about uh, 62 years ago or so. Wow. Yeah. Out in Madiket at uh, near the furthest house out at Jackson's Point. Gotcha. Yeah. And uh, so we'd come for, starting when I was about age four, we'd come for about uh, two, three weeks, and generally in August, and uh, always on the water, body surfing, belly boarding, and kayaking, and and then uh, started to surf when I was nine years old. Now, your father was a surfer, right? Not before no, that time. Not before no, that time. No. He got into it with you? Yeah, 1964 was our first uh, official wow, you pass can, you, you on, can, the, you, on the boards. And 
Wow, 19, you can date it right back mm-hmm. to that oh, date. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where did the board come from? Because I remember? was nine years old, and uh, my the boards, the situation was, it, was, it took place at Cisco, and my half-brother and a couple of his friends uh, were visiting. They were camping out in Mattaquet for a week, and they had brought a few surfboards with them. And so that we all went to Cisco with them, and they took us out individually, uh, most of the family, and uh, gave us turns, and we got rides. And, and uh, were there a lot of people surfing at that time? Do you remember? Uh, there was a few. Yeah, there were some people there, and that was one of the places to go. Pretty much uh, there in Madikit. So you're nine years old. Was your first wave at mm-hmm. Cisco? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That's pretty historic you know i mean how old are you now uh that's classified information <laughs> but let's just say you've been surfing at cisco a long time let's say slightly over 60. <laughs> well that's cool that's fine <laughs> so uh yeah i guess that that's an interesting place to start so you start surfing with your father yeah and you do you're at that point are you just summering out here yeah and at that point so we'd go uh some in matic mostly in matic Cisco was kind of a special event, but most of our surfing then over those early years took place in Madikit. Out of convenience, that's where we were, and uh, or Hummock Pond. And was there a sense of any sort of like surf culture that at that point, or was it pretty you know like people traveling for surf to Nantucket at that point? Uh, there was a little bit of that, but uh, I can tell you an anecdote or two. But uh, yeah, the do both, tell. That's why we're okay. here. Yeah, but I'd say the. <laughs> The main thing was the there was a community, the Haffenraffer family, the Linquist family, Emery family, um, were a few, and the Langs, and uh, that uh, surfed the Madikit breaks. And there was the two distinct groups. There was the Madikit surfers, which were supposedly, allegedly, uh, the sole surfers. And then there was the hoodads, more the hot dog sort, that were based out of Cisco. Ah, so there was there was a sharks, friendly rivalry, and uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of color there. And um, I was definitely, of course, the Madikit uh, branch. And um, and these are kids. Are they kids at this point? Like like your age? Most, it- mostly older. Mostly mostly older. Okay. But, um, but there was definitely some uh, rivalry. Yeah, and there was the surf competitions to go along with that, and then uh, some, uh, you know, dueling surf shops back in the early days. Yeah, well, that's and what we got to get into. Whatever you we, want. Doc. Yeah, yeah, and we want. I want to get into. I want to know all about that. Yeah. So, um, the first you you had a surf shop, but be, mm-hmm. before that, uh, I want to get into your uh, travels because I know you used to surf. Mm-hmm. Uh, all over, right? A number of places. Uh, see, my first surf trip, I would say, uh, on my own, was uh, went to uh, Florida, Eleuthera, Panama, and Costa Rica. And that was a four-month trip. And uh, I was traveling on my own, and it was very adventurous <laughs> and exciting at age, uh, I guess, early 18. So sometimes I say 17, but... Is it true I heard uh, a story that you were riding horseback down in Costa Rica with uh, Nat Tico, right? Oh, yeah. I met, him, I met him down but not there, but not on that first visit. But I traveled around the country a fair bit and surfed a lot. And, uh, you know, 
worked on my tan uh, <laughs> professionally <laughs> yeah and uh you know all that was just for the love of it there was no business involved or anything like that so um and then uh probably the next main trip i went on was uh, before i started my surf shop i went uh to florida for a trade show and then on to california and hawaii and that was probably a month and a half, couple month trip. And that gave me a lot of good background, business background and connections to start the surf shop with. And, uh, and then basically over the years that I had the surf shop, there was uh, the winter months with let's say January, February, March, at least every year that I could travel. And we spent a few winters in Hawaii and we're in the Canary Islands and South Africa and some in Europe and, you know, variety of places. So you were surfing? Surfing different places. Different types of waves, yeah. too, right? Yeah, Because I thought that'd be cool to talk about. Nantucket is a, specific, you know, it's beach break, but uh, it's a, it can be pretty intense, you know? Oh, yeah. If you, oh, yeah. Nobody here at low tide with a hard uh, south swell. Right. <laughs> Nowhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, um... I, I guess back to the early days um, in the surfing, mm -hmm. when you you were living on Nantucket or going back and forth? I was like living here. I was living here uh, starting, I would say, uh, steadily 1980 when I started this store. Before that, I was living, uh, summering here and then living off island and, and you know, surfing some different places. And who are the, when you first uh, were into 18, 19, who are the guys that you were surfing with? Because I think to talk about Nantucket surf history, the people that were surfing out here, I mean, I, I don't know if some of them are still here. Yeah. Oh, some yeah. of them aren't. Let's just yeah. go through the names. Name names. Well, probably one of the first people that pops into my mind would be uh, Rick Kodalak. And I became good friends with him and got to meet a lot of the Nantucket native crew and um, go have fun with those guys and but uh, Tucker Linquist and Freddie and as I say the that original Matica crew they're all still surfing and uh, some live different different places but um, so who are in the many Cisco? of the same faces you know and Ben Murphy and uh, um, I would say that's that's pretty much the main crew. And of course, my dad was out there uh, doing so popping the headstands, and uh, he's a very strong swimmer and felt comfortable in rough water, and uh, so that was always enjoyable to get some sessions in with him. With your dad, mm -hmm. yeah. And, um, who were the Cisco people? The the who were the guys that were the hot dogs? Well, the hot dogs, I think that was more back in the Otis's surf shop day, and that's kind of a whole nother. Well, we need to get into that. We need, <laughs> we need to. So, so I'm just trying to paint. Mm -hmm. we're, we're trying to put the pieces. You're the piece of the surf puzzle of okay. Nantucket surf history, right? So, Indeed. Yeah. So you're surfing, and you're going, uh, at this point, you're living in Nantucket in the 80s, right? And you decide yep. to start a surf shop. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the original, the precursor to Indian summer? Well, this is... The first location was at uh, the Penguin, which was a uh, little, which is where the West Ender Millie's um, is now. And um, 
so I started in exchange for pumping the gasoline. I got that was my rent, and uh, so I had the surf shop set up the shop real nice in this garage and uh, ran that did that for two years, and and then in the third year moved. We kept that location, but we also I took on uh, two partners, uh, Robert Young and Tom Kennelly, and then we. Um, uh, set up the store above Young's Bike Shop downtown on Steamboat Wharf, and we were we had a partnership for three years, and then for the uh, following years I continued on my own till 1993, when I sold the business and uh, to Dave Iverson, to that was to Steve Lawrence and Kirby Fowler. Okay, and then there was a couple um, Ron Winters at one point. Um, bought in with Steve, and mm-hmm. and then um, Dave, I guess, bought it at some po- point not too long thereafter, and he, of course, had the upper deck and then kind of combined that with Indian Summer, and now I think they're just mainly called Indian Summer. But So what was the first year of business for the for your surf shop in Mattakit? 1980. In 1980. What yeah. kind of boards, where would you get your boards, How, like... Well, I got um, I had a custom line Indian summer surfboards that were made by a couple different people. Originally, a guy out that I met in Mexico named Rick Holt, and they were shaping out of Ocean Beach and uh, San Diego, in California. And then there was some other, and that was uh, Moonlight Glassing did our glass work. Very nice boards. Yeah, I was just going to say. I- <laughs> First class all the way. But uh, <laughs> no, but anyway, so my team riders were the original guys who got some of these boards. And uh, So you're, you had a team, a surf team? Yeah, yeah. Well, what's, what's, there <laughs> It was a spiritual thing, you know. All right. And well, uh, was there a specific shape that you favored that you were like, mm, I We had two main shapes where it was one that was fairly gunny, uh, winged swallowtail and then then there was the uh tyrone 2 series which was a kind of winged swallowtail more akin to the fish design gotcha and uh so th- those were fun in fact the the 60 that was the chief cristobal model was uh it, dave still has that at the surf shop and you can uh, see it on display it. yeah and um Let's see, custom-wise, the, the person that did the most custom boards was Doug Wright of Rainbow Surfboards, and um, he was in Melbourne Beach, I believe, and um, he, he made beautiful boards he, for us for any number of years, and that spanned a number of designs and sizes, and now he is making uh, high-speed uh, racing Boats. So, so he's kind of catamaran. He's oh, gotcha. He switched from surfboards to boats. Yeah, I, I've tried recently to get him to make some boards for me, but uh, he hasn't. But anyway, it was it was nice having the custom boards, and we tried uh, over time. I started to value shapes that were a little thinner, not having real boxy, wide boards, but. Having them be a little thinner, but still of decent uh, strength, so they would, you know, have a chance of lasting, and and, and of course some nice saw, uh, gra- a little the pinstriping and whatever other right, fade airbrushes were big. Uh, I don't know. We didn't get too 
too crazy with that. But. So was business good? Were people coming in to buy surfboards the first year? Like, was it, yeah. you know? Um, the thing that court really carries a surf shop is the, uh, the t-shirts, the long sleeve t-shirts with the sleeve print was the first, um, kind of like what I'm wearing now. Like this is from Cisco. <laughs> and uh, There's a triple A print right there. Yeah, it's one of their J, early, J early and models. Dean and Randy would be psyched. <laughs> yeah. And uh, anyway, the, the shirt, the long sleeve tees were just like wildfire. And there was um, any number of series of designs and a lot of great custom artwork at the time. And then, of course, when we had our contests and all this, these special events, we'd do custom shirts and they would go by the, by the gross, you know, 12 dozen, boom, boom, boom. And the Surfline Hawaii jams, that whole era. Yeah. Uh, Spruce, I don't know, you remember that? <laughs> Jams. Oh, uh, okay. Right? Okay, it was Jams. big. It was in Life magazine and on the cover or Time. I don't know, Holy but Bloomer. it was. I'd have them flown over from Hawaii and into Nantucket Airport, like and I would shoot out to the airport, grab the boxes. I'd get to the store, open the box, and it was like seagulls on, gotcha. on these things. It was. So you were selling the hot. Commodity. They were just, and there was a number of products that were like right. that. So that there was. Um, the, the surfboards were, we would call it in the industry, a uh, necessary evil because the profit was so low and you'd have so much money tied up on your ceiling or on the rack that um, it was all the other things that you would hope to make something, uh, some money on. Now, you, you, you mentioned contest. Do you know when the first con surf contest was held on Nantucket? Do we know that? Um, let's see. We were... We're looking at, I believe, 1965. Okay, see, this is this is good. 1965. I'm trying to create a timeline here, mm -hmm. for, so we can later on, maybe if we have to piece together the history of Nantucket Surf, we can say, oh, if we well, have to, well, 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 we know the first the first surf contest was held. Right. Yeah, that was that what was beach? with the uh, that was at Cisco, and that was with the Nantucket Surfing Association, which was a put together with the uh, couple of surf shops there, the Noble Surfer um, downtown, actually. So there was, yeah, there was... There was the Noble Surfer, and then there was Otis's surf shop. And where were they located? Um, well, Otis was out on the Cisco Road at the... Um, where those Quonset huts are. Holgate's uh, business there. Yeah. And um, then the... Um, Noble Surfer was originally on Old South Wharf, built by Walter Beinecke. And then, uh, but the second second year they moved to uh, to the corner of uh, India and Center Street. So all these surf shops were together and had Nantucket Surf Association, did you call it? Yeah, Nantucket Surfing Association, yeah. And they had, they put on the, sponsored the contest and Mrs. Guyard, Gwen Guyard was involved. Is that in, Mike Guyard's with, with, mom? Uh, donuts and prizes and nice stuff like that. And did you compete? Oh no, that was I was, I wasn't even aware of the contest. I was out in Madikett for a couple, uh, not until well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, 1969 was my first, which was the last year of the competition, and uh, I remember surfing. Uh, I actually I did win my. Uh, division the boys he i surfed against uh, uh dave king was one of the people and that was the only 
person that I remember specifically. And you beat I would, uh, Yeah, I, I won What that, was the swell like? Do you remember I, the swell I, that day? Probably two to three feet average. I don't remember it, it being anything special for, <laughs> for wave-wise. Of course, I was very nervous, and but was glad to have done. So that's 1969? Yeah. Wow, okay. Yeah. But you think the first one was 1965 mm-hmm. with the Nantucket yeah. Surf Association? Yeah, a lot of that can be... Is that confirmed? You know, you see uh, there's the uh, articles and uh, press releases before the events, and that are part of the uh, public archives and historical association or Nantucket Athenaeum. Down there and check that out. Nantucket Athenaeum as well. You can do searches easily. Uh, so uh, I guess back to the surf shop. So you, sure. you, and when did you sell? What was it called? Your your surf shop. I called it originally Indian Summer Surf Shop, and then when I took on partners uh, for three years, uh, then we changed the name to Indian Summer Sports because we wanted to include uh, the fast-growing windsurfing um, sport. And we were we had our branch at Jetty's Beach for I think we ran that for better part of eight years. Yeah, windsurfing definitely was a '80s boom, right? Yeah. Yeah, and we were we were very involved with that as well, and I'm glad we were because yeah. we had a, a <laughs> awful lot of fun from the family early fa- family style uh, uh, the contests and the involvement at Jetty's Beach there, onto uh, the speed sailing and wave sailing and and getting to do that sport all over many places in the world in great conditions. Yeah. <laughs> but not jumping huge waves, I can't say that. <laughs> You'd rather be out surfing probably. At the time, I like to I like to mix it right in there. Just like now with the body surfing and yeah. canoe paddling or any number of other uh, things just to be on the water and it's interesting to me because you're one of these guys that like if you were landlocked I think you'd probably go stir crazy <laughs> right like if you ever had to spend more than like uh, what's the most time you've spent away from water mm, not very long but my <laughs> not but my son he he's landlocked and uh, Kelly and he's uh, of course surfing stand up waves on whether it's on a boogie board or on a fiberglass surfboard and kayaks out there in uh, Durango, Colorado, and I have other friends that are surfing in Idaho on on uh, hydraulically controlled uh, surf parks and rivers. So there's uh, there are ways. <laughs> yeah, I just think you would you think you'd survive if you yeah, you'd find water. That's that's the issue, I guess. The emery, it's in your blood. You'd uh, find it. You know. Yeah. Where's your favorite place to surf? Oh, probably, uh, probably off the end end of the road flagpoles in Madiket, and uh, on a as large a swell as possible, and oh, Madiket Cham, Cisco. Locally, I I really enjoy it when I'm set up here at home, and and right. we get really good waves, and it's a win win with all the friends and. But as far as we have surfed a lot um, in over the years since I was a teenager uh, down in Costa Rica, and we have a little surf farm down there that we go to a fair bit. 
I've been there. I've been fortunate oh, yeah. enough to be yeah, there. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, that, that was, was cool. great. Yeah, a bunch of, bunch of friends. Unfortunately, I, I sucked at surfing at that point. I was still in my infancy of uh, hey, you were out there. We, we were doing it. Yeah. yeah. What's but the, um, as far as I'm always, I'm thinking, you know, I want to I wanna hit some fresh waves, uh, some new places and you know keep keep it uh keep it really inspiring and not just repeat the same patterns though sometimes it seems to fall into that category i'm i'm looking to um continue to try to make the most of the the good times with that <laughs> right. sport and what's the most difficult wave you've surfed and in your history that we that we that like wow I, you had to totally check yourself and be like this is an intense wave I need to get my shit together. Well, as I referred to earlier, I think back in the day when we were surfing Nobadir quite a bit, uh, on low tides, probably just like at Fisherman's now more recently, at, uh, on a low tide with a good-sized swell, there's just so little water. So that, it's fast. That, that it's, you know, if you do get hammered, it, you know, the consequences are definitely um, are there so there that's a risky thing but mm, hawaii any place like that any place reef break reef breaks in gen shallow reef breaks in general uh there's been places where i say i don't even want a piece of that <laughs> such as uh cannons and in, in Kauai was one place the other side of the bay from tunnels and that breaks on a real shallow reef uh, Excellent tube break, but and of course, big pipeline. <clears throat> Have you served pipeline? <laughs> Only once on a pretty small, I'd say, uh, you know, head kite, head high. Yeah, conditions. but that even takes balls to do, <laughs> you know. Well, the cr real problem there is, of course, the crowds when you're um, there's a lot of people in the water all the time, and that makes it tough. But so when you you mentioned crowds, you know, Nantucket has gotten. I mean, we feel like it's crowded, but relatively like Costa, it's not that crowded or places. Do you think it's gotten definitely more crowded, more people, the lineup's getting packed and packed? Well, I, I would say people tend to like to surf together and they all pile into the same area. So there's a lot of shoreline and there's a lot of good waves that can be ridden with just a couple friends or alone. But um, people tend to, surf the end of the road, Madiket or Cisco, probably, and more on average in Cisco because it's shallower there and breaks better. Yeah. But, um, the but Madiket works really well when it's big, right? I, yeah. I went out there last hurricane season. I was, it was probably the biggest I'd surfed since I've been living out here. But it was so much easier because it was deeper, right? The, right. You've got the, the channels going out into the lineup, so it's... It's pretty easy to get out, and it's it's relatively easy to line up in a good in a place where the waves. When there's a large swell coming in like that, then the waves are much more uh, steady, more uniform, and you can line up easily. And it can handle a lot of people with a you know with a decent swell and a lot of waves per set. Yeah, it's it's all it's always it sounds like historically it's been Madikit, Cisco. And nobody here, yeah. And then, of course, Madikacham has been very useful. And um, Madikacham has its own like th 
thing that surrounds it. <laughs> I don't even, I, I think I've paddled out once there and it's spooky or something. I don't know, it's, right? Try, try the other side of Tom Never's head. That's, uh, Where's that? that's, that's in great white country. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a little and sharky. They, they'll be pinging all around you, you know? So that that's even further down? Right, Spruce? That's even... True. Yeah. That's even further down, right? Yeah, yeah. That's that's for a large southwest wind swell with a west wind. You can actually catch a little offshore around the bend there sometimes, but it's just it's weird. It's deep water off there, and uh, I've heard stories. So I don't care to repeat, but yeah. Well, you mentioned sharks. I don't know. There's never. Well, we're not even going to talk about it. Yeah. I'm going to change the subject, man. <laughs> Jesus. Um, so, uh, do, when you were young, would you surf Maddox Jam too? Was that no? no? Never, never, never did. Um, pretty much just Cisco, Maya Comet type of area, and then um, and then Madikit. Right. Mm -hmm. Do we know who the surf, like one of the first surfers out here was? Do you know who that was? Um, I was talking to a guy who says he was. What's we don't know this for a fact, but it, who is he? His name is Piero Fenci. There you go. We need and names. He's a name ceramist, <laughs> and, he, and he claims he to be comes out here still. They have, they have a home out here, uh, and I need to yeah, meet with him. But yeah, I talked to him, and he said he doesn't have photographs or anything like that. But no he he makes the claim and. And does he have a year for that? It was 1958. Okay. Because he learned to surf. He was surfing in uh, in Rincon in California and also um, La Jolla Shores. So he was uh, well-versed in the art. So the boards had to get here. So what's interesting about the history, you know, you, it started, you know, made its way from Hawaii to California and then seeped its way into, you know, east Am I correct or not? Well, in part, and then there was um, there was a guy making uh, hollow wooden surfboards, a la Duke Kahanamoku, and uh, he was bringing them down in in about starting in 1960, and he uh, he taught a number of the Madika crew how to surf on those boards. So could we? He, could and, he be the guy that maybe was bringing the first surfboard out? No. Well, the other guy, Pierre, other guy. That would be, he would claim that he was a couple of years previous, but we'll have to do some but, investigating, right? <laughs> Clearly, uh, but no, I think uh, Doctor Lang there he was instrumental, and then of course that coincided with um, with uh, Gidget and some of that early surf craze, Beach Boys, and and I know when my brother and his friends came out that was also as i say that was early 60s and there's a lot of people that you know from early on loved the warm water and the, all the uh, opportunities out here in nantucket for yeah. fine fine uh, summertime i love to do this on the podcast because it's so interesting to me when you talk to people that were here like if you could just talk a little bit about what it was like here in 68 what was the vibe on nantucket like in your in from your you from know, my youthful <laughs> viewpoint <laughs> from your vantage point because i think it's you know what it looked like and the the the, the island the vibe you know 
because it's clearly obviously much different today, but I think it's important that we document what you know it was like to be 18 in 1968 on the on Nantucket. I'm just double checking the math. That's more like 12 than 12. But yeah. Um, well, I think through the eyes of a child, <laughs> pre-teen age, um, I really wasn't too aware of anything for those couple few weeks other than just how nice um, the beaches were and how clean the water was and nice people around. I didn't get to town much. I didn't didn't do much outside of right. our little vacation area. So it was kind of a limited viewpoint. I mean, uh, we would take, we would bicycle into town once or twice during that summer visit. <laughs> we no, had a car. We had, had a, car a car on the island. And, right. But, um, but the ferry boat getting over the way it was back then, how you got over here. Yeah, it was a slow boat and it was out of Woods Hole. And uh, I mean, I would say there was, you know, it was a lot different from now as far as now with all the, there's much more wealth, concentrated wealth in the summer, but there may have been at that time too. It was just a little more classic styling, but uh, it's uh, kind of hard to say. Is it changed for the better or worse? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great. I wouldn't be here if I didn't right, love. Okay. This is my home, and uh, it's a great home base. Uh, I think it's important to get out and, and travel around. And but make it home base. Have you ever lived anywhere else? Mm, let's see. Not for not for very much time. I did move here when I got out of high school, and from there it was pretty much uh, travels um, when I wasn't on the island. But college? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I wasn't going to sit behind a desk when there was waves to be ridden and places to explore. I needed right. to be. I needed to be out there. And, yeah, and uh, I was. <laughs> was that the chagrin of mom and dad, or were they? Yeah, they they were hoping for me to find some direction, and I, uh, I get that. That yeah, didn't that didn't happen for a while. Although I will say, um, when I started my surf shop, then all of a sudden that that was, it was a great point for me because I was able to focus uh, so much of that interest and involvement that I had have with surfing. And share that with other people and connect with other people. So that was a, I hadn't been able to do that before, but all of a sudden that, that went along with going into business. So it changed a lot, my life a lot. And then uh, I met Cheryl back uh, that in 82, 1982. So, uh, and she was, was she summering out here? No, we met down in St. Croix and I was uh, meeting with my partners and, or to be uh, partners to be, and um, I met her down in St. Croix, and we spent some time uh, with other friends also at the following year down surfing. I surfed a lot in Puerto Rico over the years as well. That was probably one of the more consistent, larger wave type of places, but had a lot of great visits down there. Where in Puerto and, Rico? Uh, what was the break? I was first time I was living near Sandy Beach, and and there's a lot of great breaks around there. And um, 
was on foot or traveling, you know, public transport. See, I'm immediately and, thinking like, for a gringo to go down there and go surf. It's that's not an easy, you know, right? What? No. No, it wasn't bad at all. There was lots of places to stay. And then for years over at Playa Hobos, we'd, we'd go over on that, the North Shore, just around the corner from Wilderness, which I believe has the world's second deepest trench off of it. So that's that focuses the waves in there. And uh, Is it like overhead every day? Well, not every day, but it gets, it gets huge there. Wow. East Coast Hawaii. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Some of your best waves were in Puerto Rico? Some of the biggest and and a lot a lot of real good surf, yeah. But then over time, uh socially it became you know, there was more crime and uh it just I after a while we had had enough of that and it wasn't really a good family spot or even questionable for individuals sometimes. Was there an was there an incident that you can remember? Was there something that happened or is just a few, <laughs> yeah. Like, they're just getting robbed, or <laughs> um, you know, robberies, uh, beatings. Not to me personally, but right next to me, and uh, just in the trash. Everybody throws trash all over. Or a lot of people were liberal with their garbage. Let's just say, yeah. And uh, we were looking for a cleaner, less spoiled environment. So, so that's where. Costa Rica and Hawaii came in. We spent a few winters out in Maui, and th- that was great. That's where our daughter was born. And Vanessa was born? Yeah, in, oh, yeah. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, and so we went back then for a few years. We had a great surfing break, uh, Hokipa, just a couple miles up the road. We were living just outside of Paia. Yeah. And that's so cool. It just made me think about how that one of the things that is amazing about Nantucket is a lot of people, you know, now that I'm living here, is, mm-hmm. you know, the, everyone gets away in the winter, usually to some sort of surf trip, which is cool. So it's like, yeah. you know, everyone has that sort of exodus to go out and find surf somewhere else, too. Yeah, and the warm, the warm water is nice, but, you know, there are, of course, a lot of Great places, probably the most, some of the most consistent surf in the world is down in the Roaring Forties. So, right. Then you need some of your wetsuits. But I, I have not traveled to Bali, or we did, we did surf in, in or excuse me, in uh, New Zealand, uh, a couple times. Spent, spent some nice vacation time there. That was pretty good. A lot of crisscrossing the island, <laughs> trying to chasing waves, but. Uh, uh, we did get some real good stuff there. Nice. I, I thought it would be cool to have you comment, too, since you've surfed so many different waves. How, how, your opinion, Nantucket fares as far as wave and, you know, how, where does Nantucket fit in, in in your head? Well, the only problem to me is that it's fewer and further between. <laughs> and uh, the, when, when it does get good, it's, it's, it, we can have world class, and I don't even have to have the world class all the time, but... Uh, um, consistency is, as we all know, <laughs> a problem. But uh, um, I mean, we that, are we do have some little trace of uh, what I guess now is. I don't know if it's Hurricane Nicole or Tropical Storm Nicole at this moment, but in any case, we're getting some nice groundswell out there from that, and hopefully over the weekend we get another taste like. Uh, 
about a week and a half ago, we had real nice surf from Hermine finally. Yeah. And that, but that had been so long overdue. It was just, uh, it was rewarding, but you know, it's just not enough. <laughs> hence the travel, right? Yeah. To Morkins. But it, I just, I guess the, the type of way that Nantucket offers surfers, you know, I guess yeah. it's can be intense, but it's not consistent enough. Right. Is that the jury? Well, <laughs> It's always changing. You never know. I mean, it's you just have to be on that tide, and you know it's very tidal oriented, and the sandbars are shifty. So it's really it's hard to find the best wave on the island. Let's say at right. any I given thought, point, well, that's a that's that. but that helps for as if you do want to get away from it. There's if you do a little bit of homework, you can definitely have excellent. Um, uncrowded ways when the swell finally does arrive. <laughs> yeah, you do your uh, your your wave rain dance to bring right. in the swell. Yeah. Well, the hurricane season seems pretty consistent here since I've been here. There's usually fall. There's u- usually going to be something. Yeah, cooking. Yeah, I think it's been pretty slack though so far this season. And each time, each storm that develops, you get, get your hopes built up, and then uh, and then oftentimes it doesn't materialize, and then it's shattering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, then you're just hanging out at the surf shop. Yeah, there's other great things to do, but farming, paddling out Hawaiian outrigger canoeing. That's right. You have so many different. So you do the outrigger canoeing, right? Yeah, that's. Uh, we've been doing that. Cheryl and I've been doing that for about fifteen, fourteen, fifteen years, and and we really love being out in the water with a small group of people and in in sync and um, and it helps it helps uh, keep the the body uh, lubricated a little bit ready uh, yeah some kind of base strength for when you do have to apply yourself <laughs> steadily for the surf who brought that to Nantucket that it's a, it's a Hawaiian yeah. style of paddle right yeah I believe uh, Terrell Chapel and his wife Claudia and that was probably about 16 years ago. So it's relatively new. Yeah, yeah. And they started a canoe club, and now we have three boats there. But um, sometimes there's that, there's, we have the paddle, paddle time to go, and then there's waves at the same time. And you don't want to let your team down, but at the same time, <laughs> a number of them surf. So we generally we work it out pretty well. And uh, tomorrow... We'll probably paddle in the morning, and then there'll be probably some kind of surf all day. And keep our fingers crossed. And the day after, you know. <laughs> I wonder Counting how many my day- chickens. You know? <laughs> yeah, it's just so interesting to me because you've spent so much time on the water of Nantucket. You know, whether you're scalloping, surfing. Be careful with that one. We remember always scalloping. Scalloping. What did I say? Scalloping is what happens when the Indians take your hair off. <laughs> it's very important for scalloping. making that Nantucket Island adjustment. Scalloping. My, my upstate oh. New York accent just popped right in. Scalloping. I'm sure that probably did happen at some point here. We'll get Peter Brace in here. He can tell us about the, the Nantucket scalloping. Yeah. Scalloping. Yeah, but just the water history that you've amassed on Nantucket as far as a water, surfing, you know, the history, mm-hmm. a part of it. Is there anyone that we missed, do you think? Any intro, who, who is an integral part that you think that should be mentioned as far as the his, surf history? 
Oh, I think we all are, basically. And uh, the thing that, with my business, that um, was highly visible, we had a lot of events, we brought a lot of people into it, and it provided kind of a, um, a base to help the sport grow. And so um, people remember me for that, for all those years and the energy that I put in. And um, there was a lot of enjoyment there. But, um, you know, I was thinking about that before the podcast. And there's just so many people that, and that I would say that uh, over the course of the, as I said, the surf shop, that we were able to help some of those people um, develop their interest in but that spans almost the whole time, and there's just countless, countless names. Whether it's Gary Conner or yeah, that's what I'm or, saying. Like we, we you know, if we're gonna I mean, if we're gonna uh, tell talk about the Nantucket <laughs> service, we have to name the names to know the people, right? That 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 have been part of the community, and that have lived here, and some probably have gone. And I know there's the Ozone Surf Classic, right? Right. I did, I didn't know him, but I know that's after mm -hmm. a surfer, right? Yeah, yeah, David Ozius. And uh, we used to cross paths down in Malpais, down in Costa Rica. And, um, but as far as there's just some, the names that I mentioned earlier in reference to the Madiket group, uh, I know uh, Danny Woodruff is doing quite a bit with it. And his work, he's got employment as a sales rep for a number of fine companies out out in Carlsbad way, that whole Southern California area, and is doing real well with it. Ryan Webb, I mean, the Webb family continuing. That's the thing, is that many of the the people that I surfed with originally, many of them are Rick Kodalak, our kids are growing up and and definitely have uh, surfing very much in their blood and, and making the most of it, and I hope their kids continue with it. Yeah, I think that seems that way out here. Yeah. Someone that's yeah. new to the surfing community out here, it seems to be there's a lot of you know new generations of mm -hmm. kids yep. continuing. And as long as there's waves, people are going to surf. Yeah, so, and then the older crew still stick around. And uh, well, I know that's why I wanted to have you on because I think it's important <laughs> to document it. You know, it's the, these guys that you've been around surfing these waves yeah. since sixties. Yeah. 60s. yeah. You know, and that should be, uh, it was important to me. And I talked to Spruce and some other people to get it recorded. Yeah. Because 40, 50 years from now, you know, we have to have yeah. some sort of, just like we were looking back at those pictures of those people in the 60s, in the, the 30s picture. Right. And really, the uh, as I mentioned, that George Davis and Otis Murphy with their early businesses and, um, even Alan Reinhardt had uh, he had the Snow's Bike Shop and he was renting surfboards out of there, but uh, George George for a good period of time and his partners they really um, got a lot of people going with the surfing with uh, by having a business and having it readily available and of course their beach locations and along with food trucks and all kinds all kinds of fun yeah. <laughs> Well, it's cool, man. I, I'm glad that you took the time to come here. We can wrap it up. But it was yep. important to get you sitting down and, and bringing some of that, your history, to uh, maybe try and start telling the story of Nantucket surf history in, in a somewhat organized format. <laughs> <laughs> somewhat. <laughs> you but, know? 
yeah. I know I'll think of a, a lot of things that, are, oh, I should have said that, but well, in any this case. Is a, listen, it's a podcast, so we can, we can there's no, there doesn't yeah. have to be any format. If you think right. of something, yeah. I was, we talked about the waves, different breaks. Yep. That was interesting. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Madikit versus Cisco. Right. Nobody here yep. in the spot. Yep. So it's, uh, it was interesting. Yeah. It's always been in those places. It never was in, there was never breaking in Wisconsin. Right. <laughs> Even though the lady was there with her brightly painted board and maybe she was a poser back then she just walked around with her surfboard or maybe she was a wave sled person which i which i think is a, a lot of fun a lot great sport which but is we the, can go with, we can go into that another time it's, what is the, the wave sled is just the hand now, right well it's it's kind of like the uh, pipo boards which were some of the early hawaiian boards they were wooden boards of all sizes and uh, so there's just there's just a lot of fun ways to ride these waves. <laughs> That's it. I don't want to do any more. You just okay. you, you just ended it right there. It's all about finding different riding the wave. Chris Emery, a life in a wave. Perfect, man. That's it. Good, That's great. Good, good hanging with you, Doug. Is that cool? Excellent. You feel good? No problem. Is there anything else you want to get off your chest? Nothing right now. You sure? <laughs> Maybe no, maybe the shirt, and then I'll put a wetsuit on and go uh, do some body surfing. Yeah, we'll go check it out. Yeah. Cool, man. I'm sure there's more, and I'm sure there's more names and places and people, but uh, Chris, thank you for sitting down. That helps, I hope uh, some of you guys uh, found that as interesting as I did. A little bit of the history uh, through the eyes of someone that's been uh, surfing out here for a long time. You know, there's nothing better than being out there on a perfect day. When Nantucket turns on, it definitely does. I continue to love it, and the surf community out here is strong, and uh, there's certainly a lot of people that are a part of it. I think Chris uh, Chris is a guy that's been there, and uh, hopefully uh, his testimony there and his stories help put a little bit of a uh, little bit of piece of history on the book, so to speak. And that's why we wanted to have him on, because I thought that uh, you know he'd offer some insight into some of the past. And uh, some names, some people I didn't recognize, and some of you may have. But uh, either way, uh, it's important historical oral history, so to speak. So with that being said, folks, that's episode 39. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. Hopefully we'll see you in the water soon. I'm sure you guys will see him. He's always out there, loving it. Take a page out of his book. Go surf.
Da 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 da.